calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Can't get enough of Rebel Girls? Well, luckily, the Rebel Girls app is now completely free. That's right, you can listen to the entire library of goodnight stories for Rebel Girls ad-free. Plus, check out the app's cool features like activities, trivia, custom playlists, and more. All parent-trusted and kids-safe. Find out more at rebelgirls.com audio and download the Rebel Girls app today. Thanks for listening. Hey again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most, and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This bricked-in account, Story Club members, might make you obey the law so you don't ever end up in prison. It's about a haunted place called Eastern State Penitentiary. Checking off my list of haunted places, one that I knew I just had to visit was the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The prison, opened in 1829, housed prisoners until 1971 when it closed. Eastern State Penitentiary is reported to be one of the most haunted places in America. It's been featured in several ghost hunting television shows on various networks. You can tour the place as a haunted attraction. And so, of course, I brought along Autumn Nash, my psychic medium bestie. Willow Yates said she didn't want to go anywhere near a haunted prison, so she decided to use that time to tour the Philadelphia Art Museum. Honestly, I know the real reason why Willow wanted to visit the museum instead of coming with us was to run up the famous steps there like Rocky did in all those boxing movies. Honestly, that also sounded like a cool use of the afternoon, but as you know, nothing trumps a good ghost hunt for Autumn and I. So, the two of us went off and visited the Eastern State Penitentiary, which is now a haunted attraction with thousands of visitors each year. What were we hoping to find exactly? Well, maybe if we couldn't see a ghost, then perhaps Autumn would at least feel the presence of one. The prison had long, shadowy corridors, dingy high stone walls, and barren, crumbling cells that used to house many hardened criminals during its 142-year history. There are reports of severe punishment and torture to some of the inmates, many of whom died within the stone walls of the prison. That alone leads to restless spirits. It's kind of similar to the Waverly Hills Sanatorium experience that Autumn and I had. Yet another exploration of a haunted institution that Willow backed out of, if you recall. Every year at Halloween, Eastern State Penitentiary hosts a Terror Behind the Walls experience where more than 200 performers create a haunted house within the stone walls of the prison. Unfortunately, we couldn't attend that, but we learned a lot on our tour. Al Capone apparently spent eight months in Eastern State Penitentiary. If you recall, when we visited Alcatraz Prison in an earlier episode, the famous gangster boss also spent time in that place. 
It's been said that the crime lord would often scream in the middle of the night for somebody named Jimmy to leave him alone. Many believe that Capone was being visited by the ghost of Jimmy Clark, one of the seven people he allegedly had executed in 1929 during the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Capone had even hired a medium to cleanse his cell at the Eastern State Penitentiary of the Spirit, but to no avail. The famous crime boss eventually spent the remaining years of his life in a mental institution. Autumn and I checked out cell block 12, which is reportedly one of the most haunted places in Eastern State Penitentiary, where there've been reports of echoing voices cackling. <laughs> then we made our way to cell block 6, where shadowy figures have been seen on the walls. In cell block 4, ghostly faces have been reported, and in 1990, Gary Johnson, who was maintaining this shuttered prison, reported that he had opened a lock in cell block 4 when a force of negative energy gripped him so tightly that he couldn't move. He also said that tormented faces appeared on the cell walls and beckoned to him. Most people walk away from the prison report not seeing any of these things, but there are a few who do. Are the ones who see the phenomenon more sensitive to the otherworldly than those who do not? I don't know, but I was glad Autumn was with me, just in case. There's some definite negative energy here, Autumn said, shivering. And cold spots. Some bad stuff definitely happened here, and it left a residue behind. Like spilling a bucket of dirt. You might be able to clean it up, but traces of dust will always remain in the cracks. And the cracks of this place are seeping with tortured spirits. Do you want to go? I asked Autumn. Yeah, it might be a little much in here. I feel like a giant cold hand is putting the squeeze on me. I can't breathe. Autumn was on the mark as always, because as we were leaving, we saw a woman in white. She must have been the one that many employees named the Soap Lady, who was in the women's cell block when the prison was in operation. The woman moaned at us, telling us she wanted to leave. Autumn and I were never out of a place as fast as that day. The whole vibe of Eastern State Penitentiary was dark and negative. I may not be a psychic, but even I picked that up. I sadly didn't take any pictures away from the visit, except for the image etched in my mind of the woman in white. But I know what we saw. My psychic friend and I were so happy to rejoin Willow at the Four Seasons Hotel in downtown Philly for some cheesesteaks, fries, and good conversation. I could tell from Willow's face that she was happy that she didn't go. And maybe a little happy too that Autumn and I were the ones who were freaked out this time. What are friends for, am I right? <laughs> Hello again, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This eerie tale, Story Club members, might make you shutter your windows and lock your doors on wintry nights. It's a haunted account that I call The Thing That Walks at Night. This is a story that I heard years ago, beloved listeners, and it sent chills down my spine. So, you know, I thought I'd pass it along to you. Start your screaming in three, two, one. Have you ever been afraid of someone or something watching you while you sleep in the night from outside your bedroom window? Well, that's just what happened to the people of Devon, England on February 9th, 1855. It's one of the eeriest stories ever recorded. On that fateful winter morning, residents of Exeter and the south of Devon were surprised to find what appeared to be cloven hoof prints uniformly imprinted in the new fallen snow. The tracks measured 1.5 to 2.5 inches wide and 8 inches apart. They tracked all around the village, leading up to house windows as if whatever made them was peering within, watching the villagers as they slept. The tracks led out of the village and into the countryside for over a hundred miles. 
The footprints went up to stone walls, 18-foot-tall haystacks, over rooftops, through drain pipes, and across wide rivers. No obstacle obstructed the tracks. They appeared uninterrupted on the other side, as if the creature that had made them had somehow materialized through the obstacles. Who or what could have made footprints that consistently traveled over 100 miles on foot in the course of an evening? In addition to the tracks, some of the people reported seeing a devil-like figure in the area. Many people tried to disprove the existence of such a supernatural creature. Some theories say that a weather balloon, dragging two strands of rope behind it, made the tracks. Others explained that it was hopping mice, or even more outlandish, kangaroos that escaped from a private zoo. However, nobody was ever able to prove who or what made the mysterious tracks. And if that isn't freaky enough, it happened again. On the night of March 12, 2009, more of the same hoof prints were discovered, just like those found back in 1855. Could the thing that made those tracks, or a descendant, have returned to the village to watch the people of Devon slumber in the night? So yeah, just thinking about those cloven hoof prints in the snow trailing up to windows kinda gives me the absolute creeps. Ever since I heard that story, I always make sure my blinds are shut, particularly on snowy evenings. What if this night thing returns? What is it? What's it searching for? I'll tell you one thing it won't be finding. Me. I might be terrifying you daily with these stories, but I'm an absolute chicken when it comes to unexplained eerie accounts like this. Sleep well, and beware of the thing that walks at night. <laughs> You know I can dish the fear, beloved Story Club listeners, but did you know that I can take it till? I want to hear what your favorite scary stories are so that I can share them with everyone else in the club. Have you ever had a spooky experience or heard a tale so wicked that it makes all your hair stand on end? Then write to me at ivy at gokidgo.com and tell me all about it. I'm going to give you a shout out right here on the podcast and spread your creepy tale so that it can be enjoyed or investigated if it needs to be. I always do my best to deliver you the scary stuff you crave, but this is a community, and every voice counts, so make yours heard. Do you like to laugh? Ah, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot, and try to be the only actor who doesn't break the rules. These talented actors are great at coming up with silly scenes and stories when they follow the rules for the episode. And it gets even sillier when they accidentally break the rules. The stories are guided by suggestions from kids like you, and the episodes feature laughs, burps, and the occasional unicorn. So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another Ivy's chilling tale. This eight-legged tale, Story Club members, might make you run in fear from the oversized arachnid near you. It's one I call Big Whack Spider. The massive, hairy monster spider raced after Renee Selkirk and her friend Amy Ramos. They teetered at the edge of a cliff. 
It was either jump and die, or face the spider and suffer the same fate, maybe worse. Renee wondered how a pleasant day in nature with her best friend had come to this. Three hours earlier, Amy wanted to go hiking in the desert behind their housing development. The weather was gonna be scorching in Nevada today, but if they went out right at sunrise, they would escape the most brutal heat of the day. As they embarked on their hike, ambling up a mountain trail, they came across a startling discovery. Inside of a nearby cave were 55-gallon steel drums painted yellow and adorned with hazardous waste symbols. What are these doing here? Renee asked. I think the nuclear plant is disposing of their toxic waste illegally, said Amy. We should turn them in. Ugh, this is horrible for the environment. Just think of what this radioactive sludge could do to the plants and animals in the area. Renee snapped on her phone light. She didn't want to get too close to the radioactive containers. Her light beam caught something shining back at her, almost like cat's eyes. Except instead of two glowing reflective eyeballs, there were eight. The dark mass behind the eyes shifted. It was a desert tarantula, but the biggest one she'd ever seen. It had to be the size of a Subaru station wagon. The giant spider let out a terrifying shriek. Apparently, its slumber interrupted by the inquisitive interlopers. The eight-legged creature scurried from the cave after them. Amy, run! Amy and Renee sprinted from the cave as fast as they could, but their eight-legged pursuer had cut them off from the mountain trail, forcing them to run to the cliff's edge. This mutant spider is coming right for us! How is this possible, Renee? What do we do? Nothing. Renee had suddenly become cool and focused. What do you mean, nothing? Amy was sweating in terror. Just stay together, Amy. Right next to me. Here. Then, when it's right on us, we jump. What the heck? Off the cliff? We're gonna die! Amy thought Renee had lost her mind. No, not off the edge. Just trust me. Without a better plan, Amy couldn't see that she had much of a choice but to follow Renee's lead. The giant spider scurried over the sand. It was chestnut brown with dark eyes and long, dark fangs. It was hungry and clearly craved fresh prey. When the monstrous arachnid was upon them, Renee quickly shoved Amy one way and she jumped in the other direction. The spider, off balance, skittered over the edge of the cliff, letting out a shriek as it tumbled 60 feet to the bottom. It was cut on the rocks below. A green radioactive fluid steamed up from its wounds. That was so close, Renee. Amy hugged her friend, whose fast thinking had just saved both of their lives. Or had it. Amy was surprised to find that her friend wasn't celebrating with her. Instead, Renee suddenly looked pale. Amy looked behind her and saw that the mutant spider, wounded and furious, had returned. Renee's plan had certainly made the spider careen over the edge of the cliff, but it had picked itself up and latched onto the terrain with its eight legs. Now it was gazing at them with clear intent. Run! Renee and Amy dropped the extra weight packs with their phones inside them and ran as fast as they could back down the mountain trail. They didn't look back to see if the spider was after them. There wasn't any time. They escaped to Amy's house because it was closer. Amy fumbled for the keys to open the front door as her mom wasn't home. As she did, Renee glanced back. And sure enough, the giant tarantula had followed them. It was gaining ground towards them one hairy leg at a time. Hurry up and open the door, Amy! Renee screamed. Her friend fumbled with the keys, her panic taking over her hands. 
She dropped them, picking them up, and then finally slid the right one into the lock, opening the door. Renee shoved them inside and slammed the door as the tarantula crept onto the front porch. Ugh, that was close, Renee said. Too close, an exhausted Amy whispered. The giant spider peered in at them from the porch window. The mutant arachnid simply refused to give up. As long as it stays out there, we'll be fine, Renee said bleakly. The window shattered and the spider crawled inside the house. What do we do now? Amy cried. Okay, I need you to find the biggest can of raid that you can. Renee sprang into action. It's in the laundry room with all the other household supplies. They bolted down the hallway to the laundry room. Amy slid the door closed. It had no lock on it. Renee fumbled in the cabinets for the insect killer. She found the can of raid. It was half full. This is all we've got. The sliding door shook. We're okay as long as that thing doesn't figure out how to open a sliding door. The sliding door yawned open, shoved aside by one large furry leg. The spider peered at them, its fangs dripping with venom in anticipation of its next meal. Renee aimed the can of raid and sprayed. The spider crawled back, choking on the cloud of poisonous fumes. <laughs> We've got to get to a phone and call for help right now. They climbed over the spider, which didn't move, and into the hallway to the landline phone. As they started dialing, the spider began to move. It definitely wasn't dead. After this story, I went out and bought the biggest can of Raid I could, just in case of a giant spider attack. You never know when something like bug spray will come in handy. Don't get me wrong, I think spiders are cute and all, but you can keep the ones that are the size of a Subaru station wagon far away from me. And of course, come back tomorrow for another episode, because every Story Club member needs a little scare every day. Ivy out! Go, kid, go! Once upon a time, there was a girl who dreamed of flying through the stars, who dared to resist injustice, who lived to a beat and a rhythm that was all her own. Her name was Chloe Frida, Oprah, Celia Cruz, Josephine, Greta, Ruth, Alice. One day, she wondered, could today be the beginning of something new? This was her one opportunity to do something, something big. So that's exactly what she did. Along the way, she discovered that she wasn't alone. Her body felt strong, her mind sharp. She was prepared to work as hard as it took. Her words were making a real change, and she felt powerful. I'm Gail King. I'm Andrea Day. I'm Diane Gibbons. I'm Lindsay Vaughn. I'm Jamila Jamal. I'm Anita Hill. I'm Brenda Chapman. I'm Alana Glazer. And this is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or find out more at rebelgirls.com slash audio.